So yeah, Rob, we got to finish up our Hans Zimmer chat. <clears throat> yeah, as listening to our own episode yesterday <laughs> with Mary, because um, mm-hmm. she really loves Inception, and uh, she she's seen it like eight times. She said, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh well, you would love our episode where we talk all about Inception music. So um, we were just kind of like hanging out in the living room, played it back, and she thought it was really interesting. And uh, hadn't, you know, like what we were talking about, like the different time scales. I hadn't really seen it that way before. And then we watched the movie and it was kind of cool. The The music really stood out after having paid attention to it. So, Well, awesome. Neat. I'm yeah. glad she enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I thought you did an awesome job editing it. As I was recording, I was like thinking, like I sound like a doofus, and then like when I listened to it after you edited, I was like, oh, I sound actually pretty smart. Awesome, this is Thanks. great. So yeah. good job, Rob. Yeah, you you win the Academy Award for sound editing. Yeah, now I just gotta put together the second one, and yep. uh, then we can come up with this third one. Maybe I'll I'll do like um, every other week. I was aiming for every Sunday a new episode, but that might be a little much. Yeah. Also, Especially as the world starts to come back. Yeah. I uh yeah. I saw some stats at Audible. Um I guess it's all like secretive stuff, so I can't say anything on the podcast that's specific, but uh the good news is people are listening more. Um I was surprised. I figured, you know, it had plummeted and people spending time listening to stuff just really dropped and if it came back, it would be pretty small. But actually, even like in March and April, um, the like people's schedules were different. So not necessarily mm-hmm. during the commute times, but uh, just the quantity of like a number of hours spent listening had gone way up. And um, oh, that's great. So maybe people are kind of getting settled into their work from home lifestyle, and they like you know listen to something on their lunch break or. Uh, they go to the grocery store and they listen to a book or podcast. So, mm-hmm. or like walking dogs or just taking a walk. Like it's always nice to have some, yeah, some exactly. uh, like either a podcast or yeah, a book. I actually have yeah. been really bad. I haven't listened to any books since the pandemic started. I've just been like doubling down on podcasts. But yeah, I uh, I really do have a few books I want to listen to. So cool. I should do that. Anywho. So yeah interstellar um yeah another eye movie another eye movie yeah i kept confusing interstellar with inception kind of feels the same when you're saying it (laughs) yeah right um, i was trying to think of what we last talked about in order to make a a bridge to this episode um in terms of like his style and some themes um and this probably won't even make sense because we're going to have a part two before this one ever comes out. But having just listened to part one, um, <laughs> yeah, listen in any, any order you feel like. <laughs> but at we the end of care. part, yeah, at the at the end of part one, um, I I was we were talking about how Zimmer does um, like a light motif, and he represents characters uh, through their themes. Um, but Inception and your examples with Inception, there wasn't so much of a character-based theme. It was a lot more atmospheric, you said, and you really mm-hmm. kind of 
filling in the environment and the setting, like with the time and all that. So mm-hmm. I kind of ended part one on a question about Interstellar because I thought that would be our second episode. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I was just wondering, you know, if uh, you you feel like Interstellar is character-based, environmentally driven, or a little bit of both. I was kind of on the fence because, um, you know, a lot of my favorite aspects of the movie visually is the environment. You're in outer space. Mm-hmm. you get got these cool spaceships that one planet they land on with a massive wave. Um, Right. So that's, I think that sticks with me the most, but you know, there's no denying it is a pretty character driven story because it's this father daughter relationship. He's doing all this to save planet earth and save his family, but also he's kind of abandoning his family. And that's, that's this battle. I think um, Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that, the daughter feels pretty hard against him and like he's abandoned them, but he is still trying to reach out across the universe. And there's kind of this theme of like love spanning these many light years to yeah. connect them. Transcending. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I feel like with interstellar, um, there's still, there's no, I don't want to say there's none, but there's, there's not a strong sense of like light motif, like direct character, uh, like indication in the score, but right. it's definitely, uh, way more strongly tied to emotion than say inception was. Um, in fact, I, I read a little bit about it and the initial, um, prompting of Zimmer was, uh, the only idea that Nolan gave him, he didn't have any idea what kind of movie it was going to be. Nothing <laughs> like he did no idea it was going to be a sci-fi movie or what the plot was, but he just gave him one little fragment of an idea, which is a father's relationship with this son, which is really interesting because that's not what the movie is oh, even about. Right. Um, and then he started composing these different themes and elements based on that. And it wasn't until much later that he revealed to him that it was a sci-fi movie because he didn't want it to sound like a sci-fi soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because it totally does sound like a sci-fi soundtrack, but that's, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But yeah. um, as that reminded me in the master class he did talk about that prompt um he uh he said that you know writing music is very human there's always a character and there's a relationship typically and um but this was the first time that something really kind of hit a chord with him because um, he lost his father at a young age, I think. I didn't know that. Something like that. His father left or his father died. Uh, um, but, um, and um, and then he also had recently gotten like a call or a letter from his son saying, you know, he didn't really go, it sounded like there's some kind of, family issues going on but he didn't really he didn't mm-hmm. go into detail but he just said that his son let him know you know dad growing up you definitely gave me an unconventional childhood but um <laughs> i wanted to let you know that you know you're a great dad and so he had a lot of like dad feelings going on i guess and so whatever <laughs> that means he was able to put that in into this um maybe instead of focusing so much on the, like the script and characters like Batman. Right. Right. 
Although Batman had some parent issues too. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Although not that they were bad parents, but that they were both murdered, right? Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit different. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the, yeah, so interstellar, it's really focused on this. Uh, well, you know, the, the primary theme of the movie as you kind of touched on is that, um, you know, there's all these elements that, um, hinder or act upon humans when they're out in space and we a lot of them we don't really understand how to deal with and we have to shield ourselves from um but the one thing that kind of transcends all of them including like the aspects of time and gravity and all that is love right that's like the the Mm -hmm. human thing that can transcend and so that's you know that sounds very cliche um and a little hokey even when you just say it like that but in the movie i feel like they do a decent job of of communicating that and it, it kind of makes you think of it a different way it takes a much different direction than a lot of sci-fi movies right yeah um so anyway the centerpiece for the uh the whole soundtrack is this organ that is a 12 from a 12th century church in london um, Oh, really yeah it's a huge organ and he picked it for a reason he said once i think um this is chosen after he knew it's a sci-fi movie but um he said it was chosen for its significant to science because from the 17th century to the time of like the telephone exchange being created, the pipe organ was like considered one of the most complex man-made instruments ever created. Hmm. Like, and so um, there was a long period of time where like these were the, like the tech, you know, the high tech thing. <laughs> right. And that movie deals a lot with tech. So it, it, it kind of makes sense to pick it for that reason. But then also it's, um, it's sort of this, the relationship that it has to humans and that it needs air flowing through its pipes to create the sound that like ties oh, into yeah. humanity. So it's this high tech device that also relies on uh, humanity to make it work right. Mm-hmm. Or a human element. Um, so that's, I, you know, I think that's like a pretty cool like device that you don't necessarily even need to know that fact to kind of feel that in the movie. I think that you feel the airiness of it. There is like, something very human about the like the breathiness of the organ because it relies on you know um what do you call those things like the things you make use to make a fire that oh yeah air. i don't know some sort of pump <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it kind of relies on that you have to be like pumping you know air through it yeah. and then um, they used to have foot pedals that you right would do. yeah yeah i'm gonna remember that at some point during the podcast what the name <laughs> of that thing is a bellows it's a bellows bellows that's okay. what you call that so thing that it, does that so it relied on the bellows right right so anyway there's this human element mixed with tech um and then he of course adds a lot of other instruments some you know choir some strings um some brass as well but the centerpiece is definitely this organ and it actually became kind of uh uh what's the word um man i should do better with my words if i'm gonna be on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) infamous it's infamy It, it gained some infamy because it actually the sound design of the movie, which is probably actually to blame, but the organ also gets a lot of the blame, like destroyed an IMAX theater in San Francisco. Really? <laughs> like it destroyed its sound system. Like, wow. I don't know that they had it miss. Uh, I mean, it didn't do this all over the place, but uh, I'm assuming they had something miscalibrated and it probably when the massive frequency range of the organ went through it, it like blew speakers, you know, this, you know, uh, this, this isn't related to the sound, but there's, um, there's, they say there's like two, two of the best movie theaters in the world are in, I think LA and New York. 
the IMAX theaters Mm -hmm. and it has Mm -hmm. like a, it's a dual, dual projector IMAX. And the one that we have here is at the Lincoln center, um, AMC theater. And, uh, that's where we went to go see interstellar when it came out. And, uh, then I read an article that Christopher Nolan himself came and calibrated the projectors for his film. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty cool. You're like seeing this like, special director's touch to the experience yeah. um but you know in a, in a similar way um i think hans uh said that they don't they don't do the sound editing or the sound design for headphones or anything like mm-hmm. that you know they so, some people could approach you know maybe like a music album or whatever to like all right well let's make sure that at least it works well or it sounds you're getting most of the experience in your headphones where most people Mm -hmm. will be listening and uh in fact josh um set up this uh uh template for our podcast recording to help um lift the volume and balance some stuff for our recordings because uh, it it turned out that um my microphone is pretty low, and uh, I just bring that up because it's funny when I when I'm listening with my really nice studio headphones and I'm on the computer. When you're on the computer, you can actually turn the volume up and get a lot more out of it than you would from your phone or Bluetooth mm-hmm. headphones. So he he usually, as a podcast editor himself, will play it back. He'll you know export it and then play that back on you know some airpods or whatever to make sure that you can clearly hear the voice which i think makes sense you want to get your biggest audience but anyway that whole ramble is just to kind of make the point about how there's some people who kind of uh create for the common denominator and then there's zimmer and his (laughs) studio that they're like no we have you know these 18 speakers and they're you know 30 feet tall we're gonna use them <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, if you want the best experience, you go to the theater. And that's also kind of his thing. Like you know, hopefully you can have yeah. a nice experience at home. But you know, really, he wants people to come out to the theater and experience that in person. Right. Yeah. And um, but you know, they this article I read about it, you know, blames Nolan too for some of the sound design stuff. But also like in how he works with Zimmer, that like the the movie got a lot of like uh, complaints about the dialogue being drowned out at times by the, the score and the sound design. So the sound effects that pumped in, but um, whenever he's been asked about it, he always says that like, that's, it's an intentional, uh, it's an intentional aspect that the dialogue gets drowned out. Just like, you know, if you're in, if you were actually in this moment, there'd be so much noise and stuff going on that it would kind of drown out the dialogue. You would have to struggle to hear, or, you know, Mm -hmm. like it, like, makes you interact with a movie in, a, in a, a way that makes it more visceral Yeah. than if you can just hear everything clearly. So anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. And and as we listen to some of these examples, I think we'll hear moments where that, you know, may be the case, although we don't have the sound design, we don't have the sound effects with it um, to also be yeah. obscuring anything. But I did go back and watch a couple scenes and I know I understand what they're talking about, but I was like, Oh, I thought that was just like a feature. Like I was like, that's, yeah. I thought that was cool. Very immersive. Creating the, yeah. The environment there, uh, you so. know, like you have a, a storm going on and someone's trying to yell over the storm. Uh, that's pretty hard. I, I did see, this is not related to the soundtrack, but the sound effects are pretty cool. And, uh, if you have a chance, you know, we don't have to discuss it here, but 
look on YouTube about how they did the sound effects for Interstellar because I saw some little mini documentary. I don't know where it was, but uh, I'm sure it's on YouTube by now uh, about how they made the sound for a lot of that stuff. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So well, cool. uh, what I kind think, of yeah. tracks do you want to play? Yeah, well, the first track from here that I'd like to check out is uh, Where We're Going. Uh, okay. It's the last one. I'll share my screen with you here, Rob. And do you remember at what chronology any of these happened in the movie? Uh, I don't know if it would help someone to go look for it later. Um, I don't, although there are some that are pretty clear on the track, but this one, I think it must be towards the end. But honestly, I was just looking for specific features that I knew were in the soundtrack um, and then trying to figure out the tracks that best exemplified them. Yeah. So that's kind of the yeah direction I took with this one. This bit's a little static, but the build later is pretty good. It's the, uh... Static boringness of space. Yeah. So you hear that really low frequency on your end? Yeah.
Yeah. Wow. You know, you commented a little bit in the middle, but um, the early parts of it are very kind of consistent and it feels a little like, oh, this doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, which, you know, mm-hmm. I could be totally making this up, but that feels a little bit like um, <laughs> you're playing Elite Dangerous or, <laughs> right. you know, as you know, when you're flying through space, because everyone does, uh, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> space is at this at least such a huge scale that I'm sure for such a long stretch of time, it, you can barely even feel like you're moving because the feeling that you're moving comes from the you know passing of things going by you. You're going down a highway and you see the trees flying by. I remember on this road trip like through Arizona or whatever, we were going like 90, but it didn't feel like anything at all because it's just fucking right. desert. There's no there's no like telephone poles or anything going by you. It's just flat. So, you know, um, I'm just kind of making that up as maybe a par- yeah. parallel to what's going on in the music. It's like the space flight. You could be going thousands of miles an hour, but it's empty and it's dark. You don't see anything moving. You're just sitting in this tin can. Right. Yeah. Another interesting an- anecdote that's um, sort of on the same lines as what you're saying. There's this there's this television show called Top Gear where they test a lot of uh, like cars and things like that. And one of the tests they did once was to see if they could achieve the top speed or who, how close they could get to the actual listed top speed in this car called a Bugatti Veyron, which is known mm. as the like fastest uh, production car you can buy. And it has like a listed top speed of like 252 miles an hour or something like that, like really, really fast. <laughs> and they took it to this place in Germany. It's like this ring where it's like the places you can get like closest to that mm-hmm. speed without doing like a, like you can do it on like the, in very dangerous places like the salt flats, but this is like a more controlled environment. And anyway, they have been to get it up to that speed. You have to do, I mean, you have to go for a long time, like for it to spool up to be able to get to like 250 miles an hour. Oh. So they're going for so long at such high speeds that by the time they were done, like they'd hit their top speed or whatever. And then they would start to like slow down. And one of the guys said like, I almost opened the door because I was pulling up to you guys, like open the door early as the car was rolling and then i looked down at my speedometer and i was still going 70 miles an hour holy shit but it felt like you were just like not moving early at all because <laughs> wow. of the perspective that you yeah. were just going so fast and now it seems like you're not moving at all so anyway that's just another anecdote i thought it was interesting to share um so yeah a lot of you know a lot of the beginning of that i think is just setting up the vastness of space also you're hearing the like what sounds like waves crashing to me but also the waves crashing are kind of to me the same thing as like breathing like there's that just regular like in inhalation exhalation it's kind of sounds exactly the same as waves crashing mm-hmm. they spool up and then they crash spool up and crash so um there's a lot of that but then they introduce this this motive about halfway through which is the like bum 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 right yeah that keeps going on and on and i always think of that as like the and as like the mechanical presence um, and the reason I thought of that was the first time I heard it, and I have heard, no one else has ever told me they felt this also. I immediately thought of like listening to the old, uh, recordings of like the moon landing and stuff. And there's all these like beeps and boops going on in the background uh, yeah. of them talking. Like I have one here. I'm gonna, I want to show you just so you can hear what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But I immediately thought of that when he used that in the soundtrack, I was like, Oh, he's trying to make it like all those like beeps that are probably constantly going on. And it's like the mechanical presence mm-hmm. that's there with the humans as they go through space. 
Even um, like the old Star Trek TV shows, like the the original ones, we had like. Right, yeah, yeah. There's just always because we need our mechanical friends to get through space. Yeah. There's just always these sounds going on, and here's a quick example of that. Roger, Eagle Sun God. Roger, how does it look? Eagle has wings. Roger. Roger, Neil. We got a. If you give us poo and data, we got the loads for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you can hear just in that brief segment, right? There's just this like regular like mm-hmm. beep chiming in. That's instantly what I thought of when I heard that. But no one else. I've never heard anyone else say that. Oh yeah, I noticed that too. So maybe it's just me. Huh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I because because it did have multiple notes do 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 it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a melody i didn't really associate it with kind of a more technical thing mhm but the top note that it hits is always the same right it's going do di do di do di do di that top note always stays right the same note it doesn't and change there is a repeating yeah. note also that's going on mm-hmm. in in between all of it yeah yeah right um so anyway that's kind of what that was one of my main reasons for showing that one it's just because i thought that was such an interesting way if it was intentional of sort of uh it, it made me think of that mechanical presence and and i thought that was like an important aspect that's usually present in any kind of sci-fi right it's like always there like there's never just humans in space obviously because we can't survive in space and mm-hmm. so there's this necessary thing that's always ongoing and always kind of present, even though we forget about it after watching a lot of sci-fi sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any particular thoughts about about that. I mean, it sounds really beautiful, and it, and it really has this kind of swell that. Um, I don't know if it's an anxiety or it could be the total opposite. It could be hope. Um, or something but um but yeah just that growing crescendo um and it's so so minimal that it keeps you focused mm-hmm. on that kind of like i don't know i'm making up stuff again but kind of like you know if you're just like looking out a small like portcullis of your ship and you're mm-hmm. just kind of like focused and you're like, come on let's get there let's get there <laughs> right that's um yeah, yeah and also kind of imagining like the perspective of coming up on a planet say and how it like starts as this little tiny dot and then as you get closer it becomes this massively overwhelming yeah. the huge object right in front of you exactly. so yeah good stuff there uh the next track i want to check out is called coward okay and this one definitely comes from the moment in the movie where they're confronting Matt Damon's character, um, who they find on one of these planets. He's one of the astronauts that has gone out to explore these planets well before them. And he is so lonely <laughs> that he's trying to... Well, I don't want to give away any spoilers. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> if we should... I, I mean, I kind of also... I, mean, <laughs> I didn't spoil it, but I kind of explained part of the movie. So I don't know if yeah. people want to listen. Yeah. Maybe I won't spoil it, but anyway, okay. there's a character who it's, you know, somebody has turned in the movie. Yeah, he's kind of like uh, pretty much the only bad guy. Like, the overarching enemy that you're fighting is climate change. <laughs> right, yeah. But um, the... And space. <laughs> in, 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 in the harshness of space. But yeah, 
it's not spoiling anything to say that the movie begins with, you know, these big dust storms and basically there's no saving the planet. They got to find a plan, planet B. Um, and so that's why they're going on these interstellar travels. And um, mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, Matt Damon's character, out of all the humans, he's kind of like the one like bad guy, but um, not going to yeah. spoil anything beyond that. And this track also speaks a lot to the the sound design things we were talking about earlier about the overwhelming amounts of sound and that kind of a thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's check out Coward. All right.
Man. Gets intense. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I, I can imagine after listening to that all the way through again, like the the poor subwoofers in the speaker <laughs> as they have to sustain this low organ note for like eight minutes straight of just like like i mean i know that they're designed to handle that kind of stuff but it's just like imagining it vibrating at that low frequency for that long yeah. is pretty pretty crazy along with all the other junk that's happening explosions <laughs> and whatever in the movie so so yeah that one i mean i just there's a lot big variety in the themes you get there um the treatment of the themes which i think is really interesting how like we sort of get into this really like synth like bells world mm. kind of in the middle there i i would love to know why exactly he went in that direction because i don't hear it happening a lot of other times you know where there's like it's like very pointed suddenly it's like they put the organ through a filter the same music it just like sounds kind of eight bit like you know what i'm talking about oh okay i didn't realize that's what that was so at like 640 or whatever the leading up to it sounds like a piano like a grand piano uh-huh. just doing like scales kind of like a warm-up exercise um and but then but then it kind of switches i yeah i realized that at, when it gets to the top it switches to a little dinky kind of electronic kind of uh well, what is it like Friday the 13th or one of those like horror movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't really know. I, I'm trying to remember, you know, what happens in the movie there exactly, but like why that that moment demanded that thing. But um, yeah. Anyway, I thought it was kind of it's a cool sound to you know to bring in. Um, and very distant from the more natural, just kind of organ. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that one just kind of speaks for itself. The really long, again, a really long drawn out, uh, build mm-hmm. and the, something I didn't mention so much in the other track, but it's kind of true in both of these tracks. There's, there's always this, again, just like an in inception, the sense of layering, different scales right and this one starts with the like TikTok thing going on so that's like a very obvious like sig- uh, reference to time yeah i was but gonna then there's, mention that too right yeah then the speed at which things happen around that though are very you know quite different levels of speed right like there's like things that go with it kind of slowly like are much slower than that TikTok. things that are much faster and again just thinking about the different scales in space like mm-hmm. like the revolutions of a planet around a sun and then revolutions of the sun around like in the milky way right like around well sagittarius a or yeah uh, also the my th- it's funny coming at this from the perspective of just having watched Inception last night and our podcast about it, Mm -hmm. this story is really playing with the inverse of what he did in Inception. So in Inception, as a recap, you uh, go into someone's dream and the time scale is slowed down because you're in a dream. So you might be dreaming for five minutes, but you're in there for an hour in in the dream point of view. Um, And then you wake Mm -hmm. up and only five minutes has passed is what I mean. Um, and then so as you, every layer of the dream deeper you go, 
the it seems to the person that they're in there for longer even though they might only be asleep for like a few hours so um it's interesting that the the further they they travel like the longer they are there but only if a short amount of time has passed in quote-unquote reality and it's the opposite in interstellar because of you know einstein's relativity and all of that they um Mm -hmm you know, go to certain planets where they might be there for just 30 minutes and they go back up to the ship and one of their friends is on the ship and I forget what it was, but he's like, yeah, man, 30 years have passed. I've been waiting for you or for like 10 years or something. So it's like the opposite happens. The characters do um, something that they think is fast, but in reality, so much time has been spent. And this also happens on the scale of Earth and the daughter. And I don't even remember the character's name, the main character <laughs> who was on the ship. Yeah. Um, so there's this just constant thread of anxiety that no matter how fast you go, it's not going to be fast enough because you might think you're going fast, but in reality, um, you're mm-hmm. losing days and years back at home on earth and you're doing this to save earth so you gotta you know do this quickly so anyway i i got that kind of sense of like i don't know if the time was i don't know if the tempo was speeding up or if they were you know just subdividing it but you felt like it got faster and faster yeah i think it was just subdivision which is kind of the trickle whole thing because the whole thing kind of revolves around that tiktok so it's um it's not really speeding up necessarily well i guess where you perceive the beat could speed up but it's still um yeah it's still happening you're just hearing faster in relationship exactly exactly um it also reminds me kind of throwing back to a popular topic from the pod the alan watts Mm -hmm. um he talks about how i'm sure it's not his original idea but one of the things he talks about in his lectures is how the world exists in like uh straight lines and wiggles so and what he means by that is that like on one layer you look at something like uh let's say like a shirt right like my t-shirt yeah and my t-shirt is this like very like singular it's like a single object we would consider it one thing it's a shirt yeah but then if you go like a, a level deeper it's like this like fuzzy fabric right mm-hmm. and each one of those like pieces of thread is like made up uh are like is made up of a whole bunch of other like completely chaotic things. Right. Um, yeah. But One... then if you go down another level, it becomes like a cell and like, it, there's just like mm-hmm. these layers of like things that seem in order and then chaos and in order and then chaos, order and chaos as you keep going down. Or he calls them like a wiggle and uh, something else. I can't remember what it yeah. is now, but um, I f- kind of hear that in this music too, that it seems like there are things that feel constant and stable. And then there's things in the middle that seem like, <laughs> woo, huh. like dancing around like crazy. And then above that, there might be another like stable thing. And, yeah. um, and this just speaks to his whole thing. Cause in space, right. It's just, we're talking about the, the meta example of that, where, you know, you have like, uh, the planet earth, like when you look at it from far away, it seems very orderly. It's this circle orb, you know, mm-hmm. but then if you get down on the surface of earth, it's like all this chaotic stuff. Um, but then each one of like, all those things are organized in cells, which cells are very ordered. Like they're very predictable, like in ordered, like they all look the, you know, we can predict what a cell looks like yeah. and what it's made up of and everything like that. So I just thought that was like, yeah, an interesting relative topic you, <laughs> to bring up you have 
mental concepts of a thing which really exist as a shortcut for your brain because you can't multitask the all the little details of a thing so your brain has to create uh, a, th a footnote that represents that whole thing and then when you zoom in it looks like chaos but you can organize those like you said into other kind of repeatable patterns different bricks in that wall and you know but then you can zoom in and zoom in and uh eventually it's just chaos yeah <laughs> Yeah, or then you go farther in its order again. It's like there's no end to it, really. It's just constant, uh, you know, wane and wax of order and chaos and everything in life, all the way as big as you can think to as small as you can think. And I'll have to find, I'll find the little clip of him talking about that. Yeah, that'd be so cool. you can you can throw it in the pot. It make, yeah, yeah. on the space theme, it makes me think of um, zooming out and how uh, you know the first images from the moon of the earth that famous photograph that was mm -hmm. um on the cover of that uh that magazine uh, what's it called uh, the whole earth catalog and the the, the photograph is is called earth rise mm -hmm. because it's you know the earth is coming up behind the moon's shadow and you can see it anyway it's a beautiful photo but um astronauts described you know this feeling of just like that's everything and you know you can feel so positive about it and everything is kind of simplified it you, you don't see any of the problems because you're so zoomed out it's just oh there's home um so that's kind of a nice zoomed out perspective right that's why i like to and think it, yeah. about outer space in general i love all these sci-fi movies and space movies and space video games and stuff i mean because it's cool to fly around without gravity but also just um it feels like you're exercising a really uh unique muscle in your brain when you're shifting your perspective i remember like as a, a teenager when you used to have these thoughts more often just kind of like lying in the grass and looking up at the stars at night and imagining how insignificant you are and that kind of thing right or if you look on uh youtube the uh they have various really cool animations to Carl Sagan's speech about um, the 10x, like factor of 10. Or you, you start out with like, okay, here's like one meter on a beach blanket. And then here's, you know, 10 meters. And then here's 100 meters. And here's a kilometer <laughs> zooming out and out and out. And uh, until the, the whole galaxy is a speck. Um, and that's still, you know, not even the full picture of the universe. Um, that kind of stuff always yeah. blows my mind. So just shifting perspective are we still doing a music well, podcast <laughs> i don't know well then thinking about like well what happens when you get to the edge of the universe yeah you know or is there an edge <laughs> right right but even if there was if you could break through it wouldn't there be something on the other side you know like how mm -hmm. you know how can we even imagine if you it's all about perspective if you're a you know a chick in an egg you think the egg is your whole universe and then you crack through the edge and then you enter this whole another huge universe. Yeah. You're a fish in the water, right? And you get brought out of the water into this crazy other world where you, the air is like, you can't breathe the air and it's kind of like the, what space is for us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to kind of put a bow on Hans Zimmer's work, like, I mean, I find it really incredible that he's, he's only ever won one Academy Award. Wow. And for all things, it was for the Lion King back in 1995. 
I mean, like, totally not what he's known for anymore, right? Doing that kind of a score. But um, he's done so many epic uh, action scores since then, like Gladiator, Sherlock Holmes, as we did, Inception, Interstellar. He was nominated for all those, but has has never won another one it's which i find so much kind of remarkable yeah <laughs> so and also anyway. i don't know how much of this is zimmer reusing certain aspects or if it's the fact that he works with nolan who tells similar types of stories but i um you know was reading through and i was like oh wait he's done the dunkirk soundtrack and that's another soundtrack where they heavily feature the passing of time because it's all yeah. happening within like this couple of hours and there's a literal like stopwatch going tick, 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 through you know the <laughs> beginning and it kind of re- recurs to remind you that time is still you know you're on a clock um yeah and uh yeah it's kind of and then um he's got this new movie coming out uh what tenet or tenant tenant i think is how you say it and um, that has to do with like being able to like rewind time or time going in different directions or some stuff like that. So um, interesting. It's it's funny. I didn't I didn't really I I just knew like oh Christopher Nolan makes cool movies, but now I'm starting to see these themes of like oh he really likes to play with time and scope and like perspective and stuff like that. So um, you know in yeah. in learning about Hans Zimmer, I also learned a lot about Chris Nolan movies. Yeah, and he's got you know some other great work coming up. I mean, assuming that we everything gets back to normal, right? Um, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. He's going to be doing that soundtrack. Oh yeah. Uh, James Bond, No Time to Die. He's going to do James that one. Ooh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, he's going to be doing Top Gun Maverick when that one comes <laughs> out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Dune. Ooh, wow. Okay, that'll be cool. I'm excited for and Dune. The, <laughs> and the one I'm really looking forward to. In 2021, yeah. Space Jam, A New Legacy. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For real? It's happening. And the SpongeBob uh, movie. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of good Hans Zimmer coming out. Man. Some very different. We'll see We'll see how he treats the SpongeBob movie. Maybe he'll still find some elements of time to play with. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I You know, it's probably just his own bias, but... Uh, Everyone kind of like looks, paints him with the same brush, but um, he he says that he likes to take these different types of movies because he likes, he doesn't want to repeat the same thing. He loves to throw it away and start from scratch all over again. And um, mm-hmm. even though it kind of definitely sounds like him every time. <laughs> well, that's true, right? I mean, it's, well, it's kind of like, that's you know, style, every time you, you hear like Alan Watts give a lecture, even though he's talking about different things, it still always sounds like Alan Watts yeah. just because it's. He's got his own voice, his own way of doing things. Yeah. And, you know, I think his, it's amazing that he can repeat techniques so often, but still, like, you still enjoy it every time. I feel like, I don't know many people who are like, oh, yeah, no, I hate those soundtracks. They're so yeah. boring. You know, nobody every, says yeah, that because there's always a new element, you know, and he and he's very thoughtful, I think, like, with using the organ or, you know, with... Um, like the different ways he uses synthesizers to like create some element that is at the heart and everything else orbits it. Like you were talking about before, mm-hmm. like you really, you, I think people are drawn to things that they can really understand. And he creates that understanding by basing everything around a central tenant, mm-hmm. 
when he's composing. So nothing ever seems out of place, really, except for that one part in Interstellar where he's using the plinky plinky. Oh, yeah. uh, let me just talk about. I don't know why he did that, but like mostly, you're like, oh yeah, I understand why how we're getting from point A to point B all the time. You know, um, yeah. I think that's a really important thing in any kind of design uh, element of film or you know theater or play or anything like people have to understand how you got from a to b otherwise they'll just scratch their head and be lost um which sometimes head scratchers are good too uh one of these days maybe we'll have to do a a podcast about uh johnny greenwood from radiohead who did the uh he did the score to uh no there will be blood Ooh, which was like so hard to watch and listen to but on purpose i mean it was like a technique right but oh man i drink your milkshake i drink it up the only sadly the for me at least the only thing i remember from there will be blood is the uh brahms violin concerto oh yeah Right. Um, yeah. But then there'll just be these like long moments of like really intense sounding music. You're like sure something's gonna happen, and mm-hmm. then it just goes away and nothing happens, and you're like, uh-huh. what? <laughs> I also um, when I saw that movie, I I need to rewatch that one. But um, the 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 scent, the expansiveness of like w- the location and the music, and also just a lot of quiet spaces in there. Uh, made mm-hmm. me think of 2001, which I like to talk about. Um, yeah. Because it's got some recognizable music, but also it just creates a lot of space and sometimes silence and stuff like that. Um, but fun fact, since we're talking about movie scores, I wanted to leave on a note of uh, the, the wiki I was reading for 2001. I had no idea. Kubrick commissioned a score for the movie, and Hollywood composer Alex North writ had written an entire score for the movie but during post-production kubrick threw out the whole soundtrack and in in place of the now familiar classical music pieces like um strauss uh blue danube and Mm -hmm. um and the gregor ligeti and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. um i think i had read that somewhere before yeah which is no idea and and the guy didn't you know? know either until the premiere. I had <gasps> I had read that uh, man. How pissed would you be? <laughs> you show up, you're like, oh, you bring your whole family, like listen to my new soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't use it oh, at all. Man, um, I didn't know about that until today. But I did know. Uh, similarly, kind of outrageous is he used um, a few pieces by Ligeti. If you don't know Ligeti, this is the uh, the crazy uh, choral pieces through that are really disturbing kind of sounds um and he didn't tell Ligeti he just put it in the movie and Ligeti oh, didn't wow. know until it came out <laughs> so wow that's interesting did he get sued <laughs> um I don't remember <laughs> don't look that seems up. like something you'd want Probably. to sue for damages on like at least <laughs> to get your money yeah <laughs> for the royalties right oh man oh man really interesting yeah. yeah well we'll have to figure out what our next uh journey will be on soundtrack or other music yeah um whatever people want to talk about mike came up with this prompt so it's pretty good i think it's fun 
talking about music soundtracks because it's it's grounded in something a little bit more familiar. More people will have heard that song because, you know, a lot of people go see certain movies. Um, you know, if we were to do a breakdown of some other band or musician, people may not have heard of it. Uh, so that's fun. Or talk about some Alan Watts again or something. Mm. Uh, so let us know, send an email or Twitter, or we have that telegram group. I saw one person joined. I don't know yet if it is a spam bot. It usually is, but you know, we'll see. So we got up to 10 members. Now we we don't bite. Feel free to download the app and, um, and check it out. You don't really have to do anything. Just, you know, if you have an idea for a podcast or, you want to tell us how amazing the episode was you know you feel free to do that too <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well we, we had to get rid of our one spotify listener right so yeah yeah <laughs> cut that off so <laughs> our numbers are you know our numbers are falling we need you we need to to gain our listenership back up to that yeah tell tell your friends of 10 or friend <laughs> at least <laughs> Maybe maybe All next right. week we'll do uh, we'll take a break from the analysis and we can just do a Sunday hangout. But uh, this is good. That sounds good to me. All right. Till next time. All right. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. Take it easy. See ya.